Welcome to the Delish Guestless Podcast, a deep dive into the lives and work of Hong Kong's crazy food and beverage industry leaders, hosted by The Beat Asia. Today, we invited Rania Hatoum, a Chinese and Egyptian skilled bridal designer and private chef, serving her community with elegant bridal gear and fine dining soirees. She is the founder of Tarte, a Hong Kong-born artisanal tart maker. Rania is also the head chef of RH Fine Dining Private Kitchen in Wan Chukang, fusing flavors and technique from French and Japanese cuisine. She joins the Delish guest list to tell her story. What's an attraction to Wan Chukang then? Um, I think just the space and the yeah. environment. It's very chill and calm. The south side generally is um, is better for for me, like because yeah. I, I live in in Taihang, which is kind of like Causeway okay, Bay, um, more city like. But you know, moving farther away, it's just more comfortable. Has the bridal studio been based there since 2010? Uh, no, so 2010 is I started in in the U.S. Actually, so mm-hmm. I launched the brand there. Where in the U.S.? Um, in New York. Nice. So my first show was New York Bridal Week. I just finished my full-time job as an assistant designer with a, with a, another designer that launched, you know, bridal collections. So I decided to do my own thing and launch my first collection in 2010. Since then, I've been showing like every twice a year, New York Bridal Week. We went to Miami Bridal Week and also uh, London Bridal Week. Yeah. So just showing, just showcasing my collections around different bridal weeks. It's like fashion week, but for bridal. What's yeah. the difference, the main excitement? Um... It's more elegant. The bridal industry is definitely more elegant, less, less, sure. you know, <laughs> less competitive as like fast fashion. Everyone's generally nicer um, and less crowded for sure. Yeah. Getting into the fashion industry as your first career, did you want to go into bridal design as compared to fast fashion? Yes. So okay. both my parents were actually in the fashion industry. My mom's Chinese. My dad's Egyptian. So my mom actually met my dad in Egypt while she was on a business trip there, um, trying to sell clothing to the Middle East. Oh, wow. So that was, you know, their little um, business that became a bigger business. So my, my mom was in manufacturing, apparel manufacturing. So she had factories. Um, so I was growing up in factories. You mm. know, my summers was I was playing in factories <laughs> with little other factory kids. So, you know, for me, that was, you know, that was kind of my path to go into fashion, like both my parents wanted to. And I enjoy it. I enjoy it. But for me, I don't really support like fast fashion or mm. manufacturing. It's not really a meaningful career for me. Um, so when I went to fashion school um, in Miami, I, you know, learned all the different like fast fashion and ready to wear couture, bridal, like all the aspects of fashion. I think for me, bridal was more of a meaningful kind of industry. I'm creating a dress sure. for for someone's wedding day, right? It's a special special piece of clothing versus, you know, I'm making like 10 t-shirts, different colors, different sizes and, you know, yeah. Is it more intimate to work with a client to understand their needs and their style yeah, as well? Yeah, 100%. So for me in Hong Kong right now, I mostly do custom dresses. Okay. So they come to me, they say, I have this dress in mind, I want to I wanna make it. So I bring that bring their vision to reality, kind of creating. The, so I will work with them choosing the fabric, the silhouettes and fittings. And so the process takes about six to eight months uh, minimum. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be yeah, that long. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. takes a long time. Um, when, know, and, when and why did you decide to bring the business from New York to Hong Kong? Um, so I started business in 2010. I moved back to Hong Kong in 2010. 
13, I think. Um, my mom was retiring, so mm. she kind of had like the office space for me. And I kind of just want to be closer to family. So my brother and my mom is here. And so I took over her old office, um, transitioned it into like a bridal showroom and a workshop. So that was actually in Kowloon first. And then a few years later, she sold the space. I was looking for another space. And I found this Wang Chokhang industrial space I really liked. Um, bigger space, too. So it allows me to, like, do more in there. Um, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, being in Hong Kong for more than half my life, I've never yeah. met people that have switched their careers from the fashion industry to cooking. For yeah. Everything. Or at least that's part of their multi-hyphenated title. I'm sure there's a lot of titles that you carry, but why did you want to do that? Well, I didn't really switch. I'm still doing both currently. So um, I think I've always just enjoyed cooking. It was like, it's a therapeutic thing for me to do. Um, I cooked at a very young age, like 8, 10, even throughout college. Um, I actually did apply to Le Cordon Bleu Culinary School while I was in fashion school back in when I was in Florida. So I got accepted. Paperwork was all done, application processing, and then they told me, oh, you can't pursue two degrees on a student visa, so you have to mm. choose. You can't. So I was already like a year or two into fashion school. I can't really give up that up and then to switch back, you know, or switch to culinary school. And both my parents were like, no, we're not going to pay you to learn how to cook. You're, you know, you should just learn how to cook from your grandma or somebody or just go watch YouTube or something. <laughs> so I was watching a lot of Food Network as well. Um, so Fine. You know, that, that dream was kind of like put on, put in the back. So I just continued pursuing my, my bridal, you know, my bridal dream um, as a bridal designer and really didn't look back into cooking. I still cook and host friends at home just for fun. Mm. Um, but I think really in 2019, 18, I moved to Tokyo with my husband. So he l- lived there for about, we lived there for about two, two, three years. Mm. Um, and I was always fascinated by Japanese cuisine, uh, like the food, the culture. And so while I was there, I wasn't allowed to work because I was on a spouse visa. So then I was just cooking a lot at home. I was just mm. cooking, cooking and hosting his friends. And he would bring his clients over, his bosses. So it became like a mini private kitchen in our house <laughs> in Japan. And it was a great place because I could get all the freshest ingredients. I just go to the market and I could like test these recipes with them, and they really enjoyed it. You know, they come over, they drink wine. So I was hosting like once or twice a week, and then we moved back to Hong Kong, and then COVID hit, and I did the same thing with my friends, right? Mm. So I had my friends over, he had his friends over. Then it became like this constantly hosting friends at home. They would post it on their Instagram. They're like, "Oh wow, who is this chef? Where is this restaurant?" I'm like, "No, it's just my friend." <laughs> and I never dreamed of becoming a chef. Like that was not my thing. I just really enjoy cooking, uh, cooking and hosting for my friends. Mm-hmm. And it's tiring, you know. Like being a chef is not. Oh it's, no it's, Yeah, it's it's very compared to like designing wedding dresses and cooking. It's totally different, you know. But so then, yeah, my friends of friends asked, oh, can you come over to cook? And I was like, oh, I'm not really just letting them. I'm not really a chef, but sure. Like, then that turned into a whole world of mouth, you know, mm. kind of like a small business where I would do a lot of private dinings and caterings to my friends' houses. By June, I was doing like two to four dinners like a month mm. for other, for you know, at friends of friends' houses. And then by August, I've already had my private kitchen. Mm. So I, was, I started to bring like the the customers over because it was a bigger space, easier for me in my own kitchen. Because every time I go to different houses, I'd have to adjust to their, you know, equipment, their counters, their ovens, the plating, everything is different. Mm. So it was easier to do it at the private kitchen. Um, 
And that was all kind of like from COVID 2019 to now. Wow, we're in 2023. <laughs> wow, that's, yeah, three to four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. What is the emotional and financial investment of starting up a private kitchen in Hong Kong? What was the foresight in terms of like pursuing this, uh, this venture? Um, I think at that time in COVID, it was just people liked a lot of private spaces. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't go to restaurants. They weren't allowed to go. to. So it was just like a private space for me and my friends to do, to do what I do. Um, and then with that, I have my bridal business. So that kind of offsets. I like my day job and then my night job. So on the, in the day, I'd meet clients and brides. And then at <laughs> night, I would, you know, have, have, you know, friends and family over to, to have a nice dinner. Um, and it was a pretty nice venue. People could also book it for their own events and stuff. So, yeah. I think when you see fusion dining in Hong Kong, French and Japanese is that pairing that I think is most elevated, but mm-hmm. the most popular. Why those two cuisines? A story I skipped was during college. <laughs> I, because I couldn't go to culinary school, I, I have a neighbor and he's a retired French chef. So he had a restaurant in Champs-Élysées for over 30 years. I bumped into him at the supermarket one day and we're both like buying the same <laughs> type of groceries and you know, all these gourmet, you know, like ingredients. I was like, oh, and he didn't really speak English that much. I didn't really speak French. So I just invited myself over to his place. Said, oh, can I just come and watch you cook? Can we do something together? Can you mm-hmm. teach me a few things? So everything was in front. I just went to his house every weekend, knock on his door. Hey, what are we cooking today? What are we making? So I would just like jot down in my little notebook. every like all the sauces and all like the French technique and bases. So I think... I didn't have training. I didn't go to culinary school, but I was lucky enough that he he was willing to share all his knowledge uh, about French cooking to me, and that was a good like a year of just free like free teaching from a French chef, you know? Wow. Yeah. So I got very lucky. So th- that's why people ask, "Oh, why why French?" It's like because mm. that's my first kind of like you know education in culinary by a French chef that you know that just knows a lot. Yeah. How does the pairing operate? On each plate and bowl and a mousse bouche. Is it Japanese techniques or French It's French techniques, techniques with Japanese okay. ingredients. Okay, great. Yeah. How, do you, how do you learn and innovate on the lessons that he taught you? Um, so after that, I would go and eat a lot. Out. <laughs> I would try a lot, all of the French restaurants. And I think just eating a lot out and trying different chefs' recipes and you know their style really inspires me and how I could take that or spin it or, you know, incorporate that to my dishes. Yeah. What type of restaurants in Hong Kong would you feel most inspired by? Um, I think Arbor. Mm. Yeah, Arbor is my top choice. I can see the parallels with a lot of caviar use. Yeah, yeah. Good plating as well. Yes, and a lot of omakase, like just, yeah. Mm. In the beginning when you decided to open up RH Fine Dining, Mm -hmm. the private kitchen, Mm -hmm. what were those signs of success that you wanted to continue this for a while? Um, I was working like pretty much four times a week when, when the private kitchen opened. So I, it was, it was very busy at one point. I didn't have a Christmas Mm. or two. Actually, I didn't have two Christmases. (laughs) I was just working throughout Christmas and New Year's and, you know, all those, you know, Chinese New Year's. Because people 
during COVID, they really didn't want to risk like going out to eat. They just wanted to have their own friends and family at it. And they still wanted to share a meal together during Christmas or, you know, obviously we we're very careful and we had to get tested. It was quite a weird time, you know, mm. but, but it worked out. And I think, yeah, a lot of people enjoyed just having a, a good dinner with family even during COVID. Yeah. So now that the pandemic is behind mm-hmm. us, what sort of experience are you still giving to people and why would they want to choose your space over, you know, a public restaurant, let's say? Yeah. So I think for for my private kitchen, I just do one booking per night. Mm. So when you book a dinner, you could you just stay oh. until whenever. So you have your own private space. Mm. You can be you're fine dining in a comfortable environment where you could be like drunk and loud and have fun. <laughs> right. So. Um, yeah, but I think since everything's open, the business did slow down a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have the other, you know, business with the tarts, the caviar tarts and the sweet tarts that kind of is keeping up afloat. So when did you begin tart? 2020, September. I think it was like less than a year after I started because it was a dish on the menu. Mm. It was the first course on the menu. So they would come and, and, and they would eat and they're like, oh, can we just order these to go? Or like, can we just have them delivered? So I, I was like, sure. <laughs> so people kept ordering us. So I had to build a whole brand around it now. And I had the packaging and then wow. how to deliver it. Um, so the whole process of designing the, you know, the brand and packaging also took quite a few months of my time to do it. But then I just really want to launch it properly. Then it expanded into like, other than caviar tarts, we have like savory tarts mm, and mm-hmm. like vegetarian tarts, like tomato burrata tarts or like mushroom foie gras tarts. Wow. And then we went into like premium Japanese fruit tarts. So Japanese strawberries and mangoes. And now we have like a whole range of tarts. I think we have almost 20 flavors that you could order online. Um, yeah. So the idea of creating tart was to have that parallel space that you can enjoy the cooking of Rania anytime, Mm -hmm. any place. Yeah, I think it's like a good thing to, you know, bring to people's houses for dinner parties.